Hello, and welcome to another Fire Up Wind Down Chat. I am your host, Deborah Trapin with D11, and we are really excited to get fired up today. We have Molly Cantrell Craig in the house. Oh my gosh, put your seatbelts on. This gal is going to knock your socks off. I'm going to read you her bio, but this really just doesn't even do her justice, and you're totally going to agree with me at the end of this interview. Okay, so Molly has leveraged her years in media and life lessons learned as a former single mother on welfare to establish, oh my gosh, one of the most badass nonprofits on the planet called Women with Drive Foundation. She's been featured as one of the CNN 10 visionary women and been profiled by the Shriver Report, the Christian Science Monitor, Women's Media Center in DC, Auto Body News, hello, Women's World Magazine, the Chicago Tribune, ABC7 in Chicago, WGN Radio, and most recently was a nominated changemaker attendee at the inaugural United State of Women Summit convened by the White House in June 2016, which is one of my, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk about that. Well, we're not gonna talk about that Right up front, we're gonna hold you in suspense because we're gonna have a killer conversation around that. So welcome to the show, Molly. Woo woo. Hello. Where are you? you? Where in the world are you? I am in Chicago. I am in flyover country, uh, as some people call it, but I like the fact that Chicago is a, a transportation hub which played into uh, why Women with Drive is located here. But I don't wanna get too ahead of myself, but uh, right now it's, it's super duper, Hot. It's uh, my air conditioning uh, decided to die this afternoon, which is exciting. Uh, so if you notice that I'm a little bit, uh, you know, moist, uh, it's because it's it's just darn toasty up here in Chicago. We either freeze in the winter or sweat to death in the summer. So I know, but you have some of the most amazing food and architecture on the planet. Yeah. It's like, you know, you yes. can't have it all, Molly. Really? I know. I'm greedy, though. It's my only flaw. <laughs> love it. So we love to talk about what's in our glass. So tell me what is in your glass. Ooh, as you cool down. I'm doing, I'm doing a, a Target Spectacular C, uh, CK Mondavi uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And I have put my glacier rocks in my wine because <laughs> I'm all about overcoming obstacles and I can't have warm wine. So I put those in there and they're nice and cold and so there you are. I love it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the whiskey rocks always come in handy this time of year. And um, I've seen some really cute recipes for, you know, things to put inside your wine, but those don't taste the taste, don't change the taste. So I vote for no. those too. So I'm actually drinking in honor of talking about fabulous women today. I'm drinking a Katie Michaud. I don't know if you can see that. Ooh, I so, Ooh, I gotta okay, so you, okay, you, you will love this because this is totally up your alley, Molly. So, so Katie is a, a really accomplished winemaker. However, this is her own label. She's the very first female Washington winemaker to be backed by the angels at nakedwines.com. So I don't know if you've oh, ever. Yeah. I love so, naked wines. They're really very drinkable and they're like a, a really great all purpose. I was a bartender in college. Okay. So I love the naked wines they're very you can drink them with anything so the so, the um the, the naked wine group they actually are a group of, in, of angel investors who um so obviously there's wine but this is the specific group and i'll drop it in uh the link section of the blog post so for 40 dollars a month you can you support winemakers across the globe and you basically that gets you every quarter gets you a case of wine. Oh, cool! And it's from all over the place, and you can choose. And basically, you get the wine, you rate it, you say what you like about it, what you don't, and it starts. It, it's like Pandora, right? It, you train it. Oh, cool. So, like you'll say, "Ooh, I want to buy that," and I'll go, "No, don't buy that. It's only a twenty percent likelihood you'll like it." Uh, and so it's really fun, and you get to know you get to know the individual winemakers. If you leave a comment on their wall, they'll respond and share ideas with you if you say Ooh, what should i pair it with so it's just a really fun way um and it's a lot of unknowns and a lot of the the katie types right so people who are doing corporate winemaking 
it's so funny to think that way, right? Corporate winemaking, it seems like an oxymoron, but who are working for the, the bigger names and are like, I wanna break out and try something new. And so this is her Riesling. This is actually the 2014, it's sold out, but the 2015 is just as delicious. And it is, it's off dry. You know, a lot of people think, ooh, Riesling, too sweet, uh-uh. It is, it's actually typically, and you probably um, speak to this as well, but a lot of winemakers, it is their wine of choice. And so I'm, I'm a huge fan of Riesling and hers is off the charts. So cheers. No, cheers. So we are talking about so much today. What I yes. want to start with is the question I love to lead in. What was it that gave you the push to begin living your dream? I really was left with what I saw as no options. I think that sometimes we get focused into uh, the track of what we're supposed to do. And sometimes in my case, it was a track where I was close to what I was supposed to be doing, but not exactly. I was working as a social media liaison for a, an advertising firm in, in a, a smaller market. And we lost a client that represented 40% of our billings. And so on Friday the 13th in 2010, uh, in August, the principal of the law firm or the uh, advertising firm uh, called four of us into his office and said, I gotta let you guys go because we are losing, you know, this, this huge client. And so uh, I called one of my friends here in Chicago and said, hey, I, I'm looking for a job in social media, thinking that that would be where my, not salvation, but where my future would be. And she said, you know, why don't you start that nonprofit? And so with a little bit of nudging from that uh, individual and some of the uh, skills that I'd had over the previous 20 some years in media and publishing and radio and m media buying and messaging and branding and brand management, I basically took all of that information and experience and forged it into Women with Drive. So, so I was basically pushed out of the nest. That's pretty much what happened. You know, I, that is a, a, a somewhat common theme in the conversations that we have on, in the fire up chats. It's, you know, mine, I think we've, we've had this conversation about before, but mine was that it just, it got difficult to actually make change at my, or where I was before that it was just like, what am I doing? I feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall. Yours is, you know, sorry, you don't have a job. Others are, is they just can't get out of bed. You know, yep. there's like, oh my God, like if I have to go to that job one more time. So I think that's, um, you know, I think it's great because it isn't always this perfect, beautiful story where you just one day you wake up and you're like, I'm going to start my own nonprofit or my own business. It's sometimes it's a hard, like, oh, like kick. So that's awesome. I think, yeah, push it out of the nest. And, and, and the secret to, to being able to pivot that quickly is that you've got to be really careful about who you're surrounding yourself with. And so, you know, I had those friends around me who said, you can do it. Um, we're here for you. And they'll also hold you accountable to your growth. So that's always very important as well. That is beautiful. Beautifully said. I'm sure that your friends are just beaming with pride with all that you've accomplished. Wow. So before we get into talking about Women With Drive, let's yes. talk about what's happening for you now. Like I've been watching you really really focused with just like this feisty fierceness on building this personal brand, your new cool sassy logo, you know, really putting yourself out there and looking to help others in a kind of a different way than you have with the nonprofit. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that. Well, what I found was uh, mollycantrellcraig.com is the new home of basically my digital brain because, um, Again, going back to Women's Drive, uh, I essentially took all of those 20 some years in media to forge uh, what Women with Drive could be. And by that, I mean, if you look out on my LinkedIn uh, profile, you'll see that I've been uh, someone who spoke about brand advocacy for Tech Week. I've been a speaker at Next Gen Charity in terms of talking about how to pivot and become a social entrepreneur in a different changing landscape, uh, how to build collaborative uh relationships with disparate people across disparate um, agencies and industries. And all of these things are skills that are needed if you want to be a change maker regardless, not necessarily a change maker in the nonprofit space. 
And being able to create a brand that gets featured in 2013 as one of the 32 leaders in the global space requires brand messaging. It requires concise and unilateral uh, and uh, ubiquitous messaging across strata. These are con these are skills that I have, and they just happen to be manifested as women with drive. And so, what our team is uh, wanting to put together is the fact that these skills can be applied in very different places. Whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you're someone who works at a business, where you're, you know, these are these are skills. Collaboration and consensus building are generic, generic skills that can be applied in various and sundry industries. And so we're also working on a book. Um, I've got a publicist with a cattle prod who's keeping me on target. And so thank God. Thank you, Jen. Uh, I love her. Uh, so hopefully by the end of this year, I will have a book out. We're hoping for this uh, third or the fourth quarter and uh, some other things that are currently in place. But it all stems from uh, really being bold. I mean, going back to what you mentioned about really identifying who you are, where your voice is, what skill you can bring to the table, and how you can uh, employ it to the betterment, better, the betterment of not only yourself, but others. Because when you can focus on how your skill contributes to the whole, that's when the magic happens. Yeah, so so are you, give give us an idea, give, give the community an idea of how that happens. Are you doing workshops? Are you speaking? Like what's your, what's your mode of helping? Are you consulting? How, do, how does somebody work with you in that way? Well, it really depends. Uh, we abs absolutely can uh, speak to different groups. I've, as I mentioned before, I've, I've been a panelist on various uh, national uh, level uh, conferences. Next Gen Charity was in uh, New York and Manhattan. Tech Week obviously is here in Chicago, even though they've got a, a brand that goes in various uh, places here in the United States. And um, But I also serve as a consultant in terms of helping nonprofits and businesses distill their message and understand how to represent that message in the in the digital space. So um, I've got various, uh, I've got a couple startup businesses here in Chicago that I'm helping uh, with their messaging and then I can go in and do things like train the trainer. So it's really a lot about teaching people how to leverage their digital voice to its best effect, regardless of where that's going to land. So um, that's how to, you know, .com, you can contact us, uh, make a booking, or just send us an email, and, and uh, we'll figure out how we can make things happen in that regard. But it just is an evolution of where I am. And ironically, what's funny is as I go back and look at where I've been over the previous four years, um, I needed to create Women with Drive in order to become myself, which is something that I think, you know, we'll probably we'll talk about at some point. But it's very funny how it all fits together. Even when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't seem as though it's going anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's always going somewhere, just as a heads up. I love that. You know, I think that that's, that's such an important message for the, especially for the solopreneur as they're just starting out, right? Not everybody is fully funded. Most, most people who are starting their own companies are bootstrapping it. So, you know, their, their office is their kitchen table, which is also their dining table, which is also their conference table. Yeah. And, you know, cause we, we tend to, as a society share that we're starting something and then don't share anything else until we've had a victory. And so I think that kind of the in between the creamy filling, as I love to call it, that's that's where the magic is, and that is where the lessons are. So, so you had to. I love I love the idea of saying, I found myself in creating this, right? And I think that's so profound. So let's talk a little bit about why women would drive. So why did you decide that? when you had that Friday the 13th moment, which is totally hilarious, uh, that it was, that was it. Like that's what, what about this women with drive hold you in? Well, what's interesting is I want to, I, I'm 48. I'll be 49 next month. And the only reason I mentioned that is that women with drive actually occurred to me when, uh, in 1997, when I had a kid in high school, I had a kid in middle school, and I had a kid in grade school. And I, I thought about Women with Drive uh, because I used to be this woman. You know, 26 years ago, uh, Phoenix, my oldest daughter, turns 27 uh, next Monday. Phoenix turns 27 next Monday. 
and I was um, going to college. She was four months old. I didn't have a car. I had a friend of mine who was a welder who drove me back and forth to school. And after I graduated, I started working in newspapers. And when my car would break down, by that time, I kind of had a bucket of bolts. And, and when that car would break down, the newspaper would send out a delivery van and bring me to work and take my babies to school. And so over these 20 years, and it's 20 years, I've overcome obstacles. And I've had the great fortune of being surrounded by people who loved me and who cared about my future, who cared about my children's future. And there were all of these little obstacles that didn't seem little at the time, but I've incorporated those into what Women with Drive is. And because in my opinion, I think that once one has overcome something, it's, it's, I feel that it's incumbent upon me to create something that helps other people over those obstacles. Because if I can shorten their uh, learning curve, then everyone in society benefits, including the individual we're helping. So um, Women with Thrive was born of my own desire to create something that I would have loved to have had when I was a single mom on welfare. And the other thing that's significant about Women with Thrive is that um, before I started this nonprofit, my pedigree is actually, again, in, in media and advertising. Chief among my clients were clean tech, biofuels, wind, solar, and so I've always been really excited about uh, clean tech technologies, uh, alternative energy, things like that. And, you know, stepping back yet another, uh, you know, couple feet, I was raised by my grandmother, who was a Depression era uh, woman. Uh, if you can see behind me, those white shoes right there were her um, wedding shoes in 1932. And she was so poor, they painted them white. So... And she's over here. I don't know if you can see her. So, I mean, this was a woman who looked at things from a point of uh, how can I use this? What else can we do with it? It, was a, it wasn't a scarcity mindset. It was a repurposing and creative, how can we use this? And so, in my opinion, our resources, the number one reason welfare to work programs fail is lack of reliable transportation. And when I got stronger and I started working at newspapers and I started making some serious money, you know, not serious money, but relatively, you know, solid money, I started volunteering for the Habitat for Humanity for various nonprofits in town. And I noticed that as a community, we have all the resources at hand in order to help women to autonomy. But the number one reason welfare to work programs fail is that car, is, that, is transportation. So what Women with Drive does is we partner with other organizations who help identify these women who are ready to move forward, and we provide the transportation, they provide the drive. And so these women who are ready to move forward are supported by a greater uh, network that's already existing, that's already doing great things. In Chicago, it happens to be the YWCA, the Jane Addams Resources Corporation, uh, the Chicago Women in Trades. These organizations are already doing great work. Why should we as an organization reinvent the wheel Pardon the pun, but these organizations are so busy doing their work that they don't have the transportation. So let's provide that, and then let's also plug into the changing nature of mobility. And when I think of mobility, I don't think of a woman getting back and forth to a job. I think of the way that cities are designed in terms of plugging in what is the variable that's going to solve that transportation for this individual? Is it going to be an autonomous car? Is it going to be self-driving car? Is it going to be a, a, an on-demand service like Lyft or Uber? Is it going to be car sharing? What is going to be that solution for this individual? And how can we best employ the resources that are already available to us as a society in order to solve a process and a problem, challenge, challenge, that is ubiquitous? Every community in the, in the United States faces this challenge. Every one of them does. That's so that's where drive came from. Awesome. So, so give us an example. Like, I, I love how you were like, so you're trying to match the, the woman to the vehicle, right? Like the vehicle that's actually going to propel her forward. So Great. you've got to have a couple stories in there. So give, give us an idea of what that means. That sure. Like. So um, briefly, last year um, we had uh, Caress Pouncey is with the, the Jane Addams Resources Corporation. She was orphaned at 13. Uh, she had a bit of a rough patch of it because when you're a teenager and your parents are gone, you make some silly decisions with your friends and you maybe drift off course. <laughs> no, who does that happen to? I know. And she 
herself in a position where she was like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not who I am. And she went through the training uh, to get, you know, skilled as a welder. And now with the car that we awarded her in 2015, she's not only the first female welder in our shop, but the car we awarded her immediately doubled her income. And she's able to accept jobs that are fall outside the parameters of, of public transportation. And this is one thing that we, we talk about in Chicago is a lot of people have the understanding that, oh, there's trains and buses and taxis. Who who needs a car in Chicago? Well, the thing is, is that is Caress lives uh, in the heart of uh, the neighborhoods. She's in Humboldt Park, which is uh, not a suburb. It's, it's, um, having this car helps her economically emancipate herself. And just a few months ago, we awarded a vehicle to um, Elizabeth, who is, we currently have a, a, a generosity campaign. It's a Indiegogo a crowdsourcing thing that's currently live. And I can share that link at some point, but perfect. Um, Elizabeth is someone we uh, identified in conjunction with the YWCA here in Chicago. And she is a volunteer for crisis management for people who are in domestic violence situations. So uh, before she got her car, let's say that she got a call at two o'clock in the morning from someone who was in a hospital having just been through a very traumatic experience. And so what Elizabeth has been trained to do, she's a nursing student, is she as a volunteer goes and she is that advocate for that woman or that individual who is currently going through something that's very traumatic. She's there as the buffer between the doctors and the police and the person, and the family. And that's a skill. And because she now has a vehicle, she can go directly where that woman needs her right now. She doesn't need to put herself in jeopardy standing on a subway platform at two o'clock in the morning. And the other thing that's really ruby about how the fact that um, Elizabeth now has her own vehicle is that she's also a mother. She has three, three small children, three boys, and now she can take them to maybe things after school or when she needs to get groceries. She can go get groceries instead of having to schlub a stroller and eight bags and trying to get stuff on the on the bus or on the train. And so all of these little things that we who are used to having a vehicle in our driveway, uh, they now have access. Access and opportunity is the catalytic agent to transformation for these women's lives. And they're willing to do the heavy lifting. What they need is opportunity and this this vehicle and that transportation that's going to help, again, emancipate them economically. So. I, I love that. I love the economically emancipate. I think that there's that's so powerful. And you know, in in Seattle, a lot of people say the same thing about living in Seattle. Well, what do you need a car for? There's a bus that goes on every corner. And and of course here we've got tons of Ubers and, and Zipcar is so is here and but you're absolutely right. I mean, there are certain businesses that actually require the vehicle. So how how do you find these women? Is this like a they win the lottery or how, you know, how do you find these just amazing women who are perfect fits? We, again, it used to be me. I was this woman. Uh, I would get the WIC vouchers. I was on uh, food stamps. I lived in Section 8 housing. I've bought Christmas presents with food stamps. I know what it's like to be these individuals. And the case management people who are interacting with these individuals day in, day out, each month, uh, they know when people are ready to move forward. And so what we do is we, we develop these relationships with these uh, staff members and we say, you know, these are the parameters for what a successful candidate would look like. You know, they, they have to be, you know, there's, it's all on womenwithdrive.org, all of our content for how to be a participant's right there. But um, it's really a, a symbiosis of trust. We really go and we make this conversation with these individuals who are the the case management people and say, we want to help you be more successful. We want to help you get people from, you know, a position of uh, dependency to independency. We want to go in because these, these, they're sometimes they're called social workers or what I like to call them case management. But, you know, these are individuals who have dedicated their lives to helping other people become, uh, become themselves. And I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to go in every day open the same files and see generations of people crossing your desk and saying, I cannot, am I making a dent? Am I doing anything different? And am, am I able to make a change? And so what Women With Drive wants to do is go into those organizations and say, we want to help you be more successful uh, by providing something that will help you be more successful and more effective in your role as an individual. So we really go out and we interact with these people 
Uh, I hate these people. That's a terrible phrase. We trust these professionals to give us really awesome advice on who they think is going to be ready to literally take that next step. So, well, and I love that that it is truly a partnership. I think yes. that you know we, we've uh, not that we want to get into politics at all here because we both have very similar beliefs when it comes to that. But when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about helping people who are in a space where they don't have a car and they're living on food stamps, they don't want to be there. No. And, and you know, the, this fallacy that, that people, sure, there's, there's, there's people in every walk of life that work the system. Yes. But the bulk of people have no desire to show that they're on a food stamp. So I think that the beauty is this is this is showing not only this woman who's got the drive and needs a ride to drive, but it's showing her children too. Like this, when you when you have a, a, a vision, when you've got a dream, it doesn't it where you are now isn't where you're gonna stay. Right. And that is so powerful. I mean, our kids, if any time in history, it is becoming so clear that once they see it's possible, yeah, we can pump them up, but once they see it, it's right. so much easier. And I think faster for them to yeah. get there. Yes. Well, here's, I think you, you hit the nail on the head and here's the reason why. And, and when you're, when you're, If you haven't seen alternatives, you don't understand that other opportunities exist. So if you are born into a uh, family where um, this is your second or third generation, your normal is waiting until the sixth of the month when the check gets deposited and now you can go out and you get your groceries. And so when you have a an individual in your home, and by the way, Women With Drive is called Women With Drive because specifically or statistically, Women comprise the bulk of people in poverty. Um, if a man qualified and had, you know, children, he was trying to get out of a homeless situation or something. Absolutely, we would award a vehicle to a man. It's just for the sake of statistics, we go with women with drive. But again, if you're in a family where your normal is living paycheck to paycheck or living with this uh, subsidized existence, until you see your parent take ownership and say it, this is the, not the way it's going to be from now on. And instead of, you know, everyone does homework around the table instead of uh, not doing homework around the table, or those are the things that change trajectories for families. And um, again, in the case of Caress, you know, her income doubled. You can do a lot of different things when your income doubles, you can save some money. You can buy a pizza once a week. You can, do all sorts of, there's a lot of opportunities available to you. And these, and, and very briefly, because I want to talk about the, what do you call it, in uh, D.C. before we, I don't know, how, I don't know what time we're yeah. looking at. So, yeah. We're but, good. <laughs> um, but the way that we, and this is part of why we've incorporated on-demand uh, driving and uh, car sharing, is that there are three stages of autonomy for the people we're, we're, we're finding here in uh, for Women with Drive. In the immediate, a, an autonomous vehicle, what I refer to as an autonomous vehicle, the one that's parked in your driveway, you own it, you go out, you turn the key, you drive away, autonomous vehicle. That is going to solve a, a, a challenge for a very specific subset of people. Uh, but the thing is, is that that individual, what happens is, is that she'll be starting to make more money. She'll start to either get to a point where she's financially stable, where she's not having to have SNAP benefits or something like that. And then she starts getting stronger and she starts paying into the system, which is another stage of autonomy entirely. But the other thing that we're thinking about is that her children, as you mentioned, either A, have a lesser chance of entering a system. But the other thing is, is that my oldest daughter, again, total millennial. This woman does not, car ownership is changing for that generation. Um, they have a hive mind mentality. And so collaborative goods, the gig economy, these things are her, her normal. So we're going to be also wanting to address the autonomy for a person who's currently 12. She's not always going to be 12. She mm -hmm. might want to be a coder, someone who doesn't need a car. She might want to 
hop in a zip car and do, you know, go her own way with that. So we're also wanting to make sure that we're baking solutions into our model. They're going to be not only appropriate for uh, a specific generation that we're talking about right now, but two and three down the line as Chicago starts to evolve into a, a different type of city, you know, smart city. Some people call it smart city. So there's this, my brain, I have all this going on in my head. I love it. All the time. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, it, when you, when you find, when you find your purpose meets something that you're passionate about, it's, it really is hard to stop. Like yeah. it really is hard. I mean, cause this has been on your, this been on your heart for 20 years. And so you've got 20 years of experience and ideas. And now you're not only thinking, what was I thinking back then and how can I implement that now? It is the, the ripples that are going to happen in the future. And it's interesting. I had this conversation with a client the other day about, you know, why do, why do you think that the millennial generation, a subset of them, not the 35 year old millennial, the younger millennials have that really that, that hive mindset. And, you know, I think it's, they, they've, they're, they're born into a hive. They're born into hive mind. I mean, yep. they're never alone. They've always got somebody they can text or check out their or Snapchat or they're always connected. So the thought of sharing it isn't something that they have to, it's not like one of the five rules in kindergarten. Nope. <laughs> like, and, and, for us, it was such a big deal. Like share, sharing is caring, sharing is caring. Like right. we were taught, you know, it wasn't like, this is my lunch and that's your lunch. It's our lunch. Like it was, it was very different. And so I think that there's really great things with that. Uh, and especially what you're talking about with, I mean, just in general, saving the planet right? Yep. You've got, you're talking about your grandma with the, you know, repurpose mentality. Well, I think the younger millennial subset has a lot of that same passion for repurposing. I mean, my niece, Aubrey, she does some of the coolest things with stuff she finds. Like, wow, what a great idea. You know, I, I, I never really thought to do that. And, and so it's, they actually implement the true meaning of repurpose. So right. I think that's great. So be let's let's roll into one of the most epic events that happened this year. Cool. And I remember I think actually this is what what triggered us reconnecting was I saw that you were posting about this and I'm like, oh, she's going? Like and I, I just started following everything that you were I was just consuming it. Like seriously, I added you to my see first list, right? Like, what is she doing? What's happening? Where's Molly going? What's happening? What's happening? So the United State of Women. I mean, what a brilliant idea this was. So for those, there, there, there may be a few people in the fire community who don't know what that is. So why don't you kind of give us a little bit of background of what that was and then how, what, when, like, spill. Okay. <laughs> well, the United State of Women is, uh, was a, a summit that was convened by the White House. It's an inaugural summit in uh, June. And uh, I believe it's U.S. Women 2016 is their Twitter handle. Uh, but it's United State, as in singular state of women, so that when people try to Google it, because I, for the while, I was trying to put states, and states is not it, it's state. But, um, oh gosh, I have so much to say. Um, <laughs> everything happens in waves. I remember being... In 1972, I remember the Geritol commercial. I think when the guy is explaining his wife, I think I'll keep her. And I can remember being five thinking, dude, what? Did you just say you'll think you'll keep your wife? Are you on, what's the, what's your deal? And so, and it's not because I think men are bad. I've worked in male dominated industries and I have two brothers and I men are awesome. They're amazing I'm dating one I really like him I think he's very nice I mean I'm not a but <laughs> what kills me about the United State of women is that I believe there's this pendulum swinging where people are thinking to themselves we're ignoring half of the population what is that costing us that as a society what are we teaching our daughters that you matter until you turn 11 and then you better start learning how to Sub, you know, still and, and squelch part of your being, that's ludicrous. And so the United State of Women was this uh, organizational opportunity to just connect with 5,000 other women 
who are not afraid of supporting each other, which was just electric. It was absolutely electric. Um, you can go out and read a little bit about it, but what they basically did was, was convene this summit to talk about issues that technically affect all of us, but you know, health, career, uh, gender equality, um, orientation. They had a lot of uh, LGBT issues about, uh, and transgender about how, um, you know, excellence doesn't just come in one shape. It comes in many, a myriad of shapes and, and forms and genders and colors. And, and so this, this summit was a great opportunity to meet with other people who were all about understanding how to recognize the highest in each other and how to bring that out, how to support that and how to take that back into our communities uh, whether we were in Chicago or whether we were in Alaska or, you know, small town USA, which, by the way, I grew up in a town of 2000 people. So. Whoa. So, yeah, my speech teacher used to call me my mother's name. That's she used to teach my mother. So I'm pretty sure that's how many people are in my neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's 2000 people on my street right now. I could walk up and down. The street. I guess my point in saying that is that wherever you are right now, um, it doesn't necessarily determine your endpoint. I think that you determine your endpoint. And this the summit was just an amazing opportunity to interact with all of these, you know, amazing women who just believed in each other. It was amazing. Oh, it was awesome. And, and, and I cannot even imagine how palpable the energy must have been when Michelle Obama and Oprah were like dishing like girlfriends. Yeah. Like I watched it three times. Yeah, I will admit, like I, I was like, I was so drawn in. And I think that, you know, there's so many layers there. You know, they're powerful women. They're powerful black women who are so often so underestimated and so and labeled with such negative adjectives in our society, which totally sucks. And so to see these two women who have risen and are just so freaking comfortable and confident, I was just like, I, I, I seriously was like crying. I'm like, these women are showing a whole generation that there is no reason you cannot become who you want to become. Right. And so, like, tell me about that. Like, what was, was it just buzzing in there? Was everybody, like, punch drunk? Well, <laughs> you know, we had, there were a series of three days. The first day was a lot of um, off-site networking opportunities with, you know, small group type of things. Um, Tuesday uh, was the actual summit, and that was started at oh my god it's early and ended at i can't you know it's too dark to see my watch type of thing so that was a really long day but what was really cool about that day is that it built and built and built with the speakers and the testimonials and the stories that we heard from so many different people i mean uh everyone was able to what i took away from it was as the conversations went on we started to peel back the layers and see each other in each other, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And recognize uh, just, just the voice that each of us have to bring to the table. And uh, there was, there was uh, every, it was very inclusive and it was really funny. Uh, Barack Obama comes out to talk and he, and the very first thing out of his face was, I know you're here to hear Michelle which made everybody laugh. And, and it was just a really great conversation because this is a man who has two daughters. Right. And so, you know, uh, Malia and Sasha are women who will redefine their generation, in my opinion. And so then it builds to this conversation again, where you've got Michelle on one side and, and Oprah on the other, and they're talking about, you know, careers, motherhood, um, being a wife, uh, the surrealness of, of where we were. And um, one of the things that I really thought was powerful uh, and something that I've taken a lot of time to be more aware of myself is how to be respectful of someone else's experiences, even if I haven't been able to share it. And there was again, that palpable energy in that room of, I really felt, and I'm glad it was there, this celebration of strong black women taking ownership of their ability to create businesses, to create uh, art, to create, uh, you know, the, all sorts of different industries represented, the, the law, I mean, just 
And I think that what's really important is for us to understand that our experiences aren't other people's experiences. And we need to be respectful of those voices and to say, I don't know and I want to learn. So I'm going to shut up and listen and find out how we can learn from each other and how we can support each other. Because in my opinion, and it's something that I talked about um, during my hangout with CNN, um, was that my my dream is for traits to be non-gender specific or non, uh, they're not specific. Love is love and, and, and caring is caring. And I have a lot of friends of mine who have amazing gifts. I, we sat down with our law firm three weeks ago and they had so many ideas that never occurred to me because that's not how my brain thinks. Right. And then, you know, we could do this and we could emancipate this crew, you know, this, and they had a whole program for domestic violence that would have never occurred to me mm. and how to do things with, you know, the making sure that it's all legal and structured and this and that and the other thing. And, and I think that what's really powerful about that summit is we all sat together, learned from each other and said, um, how can we do better? I think that was something that, you know, Michelle Obama had said in her conversation with, uh, with Oprah, listen to me. Michelle, Oprah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. we're on a first name basis. Yeah, do better. And she was in that particular case, she was addressing men. Um, and I think what's important about, you know, um, that conversation where she said, you know, there are there are a lot of again, going back to there's a lot of amazing men who have daughters that they want them to achieve whatever they want. And, uh, you know, Michelle's statement with do better was, you know, not that you're not doing well, but that if you know something's not right, say it, you know, stand up for your sisters or, or I don't know, I'm getting off cop topic. I'll just, I'll no, no, I think, I th but I think that that's powerful. I think, you know, we, we kind of had this conversation in our pre-talk about how, uh, I don't have to read any more notes about how women can be our own worst enemy. We, yes. we, you know, I don't, do you know Valerie Alexander? Have, no. you, have you met her? Okay, so she's in she's in the Facebook Power Women group, but that I added you today. So she is she's written some really fascinating things about the female brain and how how we actually our our brains are so very different, and how it goes back to caveman mentality, right? So how how we look at each other and and how we work together is very different than how men work together, and That's true. and how. We really need to be very cognizant about that because I think, you know, what I what I tend to see and and what I what I'm I'm not passionate about is is making things women only, like women only conferences or women only events because I think that just is another type of segregation. Like that, we all need to be part of it, and we can't break into the boardroom if the men aren't inviting us. I mean, we cannot break in. Like that, that's the thing, we can't steal a seat at the table. We have to earn it, but we also have to have men looking to the left and right saying, holy crap, you're all dudes, right? And I think that there's such powerful conversation around that. And for us to, to be able to get to that place, we have to define our own success. So that when Molly has a success with her nonprofit, or when Molly gets a speaking gig at an amazing conference, that I'm excited for her because I know that's where she really wants to go and that's her version of success. And, but it's different than mine, which looks different and feels different, but we can celebrate the, what they look like, even though they're different, because I don't think your success should be mine. And I think that's where a lot of, uh, of women go off the rails, is they don't slow down, they don't define who they are or what that means. And so whenever there's a positive post from someone else, they're like, oh, it's an, either an ego post or they get upset or, and so I really, what I loved about their conversation is that it was so, it, it was like this beautiful game of Pong, you know, like they were just in the flow and it was slow and graceful and, you know, here's a great accomplishment. Oh yeah, here's how I could take that to the next space. And I think we could all learn a lot from that and oh, learn, learn to do, uh, learn to do better, even with celebrating each other's successes and and hearing, like you're saying, sitting at that table with your attorneys saying, 
I never thought about that. That doesn't make me less of a person that I didn't think about that. And I'm so excited. I surrounded myself with amazing people who are helping me elevate. And um, that's such a good word. I thank you for that so much. Well, the, the thing that's, that's significant, and you'll see it regardless of industry, is that truly successful people who move the needle for thousands, if not millions of others, have a, an abundance mindset. They are operating from an abundance mindset. And so uh, what you just said about the, our meeting uh, with our attorneys is that because we availed ourselves as an organization uh, with the, the knowledge from people who saw something that I never even knew existed, we are now placed in a position to help more people. Uh, so, you know, your success does not minimize mine. It allows you to be more successful in your space doing what you do and more creates more and less creates less. It's just math. That's all there is to it. And so uh, <laughs> creates scarcity um, removes it, it, it diminishes. And so, um, and I think there is a lot of it that's lizard brain. And I mean, there's a lot of it that's hardwired, when I don't know, I don't want to go into evolution and stuff, but I mean, <laughs> you know, scientifically, there is the, the 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 three. There's the id and the you know the lizard brain and the, all these different types of levels of how we react to situations and and I think when we view things from a position of abundance mentalities, that's when more people can fit at the table. I love that. I, there's a quote out there, and I'm going to totally mangle it, but uh, building a bigger table. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, when you when you become successful, you're able to create the bigger the bigger table. And what's interesting is when you make that switch, it doesn't matter if you're pushing a broom or you're in a boardroom. Once you understand that abundance begets abundance, you start to become more effective in your role wherever you are. And that is something that I found to be true. It's just true. It's beautiful. And, and, and it fast tracks you into the next iteration of what you wish to be for yourself. When you start to recognize that abundance creates abundance, then you have plugged into something that's going to help you become who you're supposed to be. Wow. Wow. I think that's a beautiful place <laughs> to, to end. Wow. I, like, I feel like I just got churched a little. It was beautiful. Yeah. I, um, my poor kids. I don't have any kids around anymore. My, my baby's 22 and she lives in Portland. So I used to, when they were in the car with me, it's, you know, they're trapped. So they would get their, <laughs> captive audience. They would get their life lessons on the way to school, and so now I have no one to lecture. I don't even have a cat. So, so thank you for letting me. You know, yeah, go anytime on. you want to jump on Blab with me, once Facebook Live actually it opens the the two seater, yeah. I think we could have some fun. Uh, so l before we leave, I want to make sure that everybody knows the easiest way to get in touch with you. Of course, we're going to drop a ton of links inside the blog post, but what's like the number one way if they want to get on Miss Molly's radar, where do they go? I would start with mollycantrellcraig.com and you have an opportunity at that website uh, to, to ask me a question about women with drive and our, you know, our team will route it that direction. If you want to talk with us about speaking or training, something like that, mollycantrellcraig.com. Just put it in the subject line, what it is that you're hoping to find, and they'll route it to the right person, and we'll go from there. But um, I'd say start there, honestly. So. Perfect. That's a great Or follow me on Twitter. I mean, I'm on Twitter. You get to see my brain on spool, 140 characters at a time on Twitter. Yeah, I, I so. had the most hilarious conversation with my parents about Twitter. My dad was like, you know, the world just gets their news from Twitter. And I said, no, you're, you're missing the point. Twitter is just the flow of the headlines. It's just a flow of headlines. Like, it just like their newspaper, unless you're, you know, retired, you're not reading the front, the newspaper front to back. You're, you're skimming no. for, news, for, for the headlines. He was like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. So, Pops, if you're watching, I'm so glad. <laughs> All right. Well, on that, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we could continue talking for another hour. Uh, I'd love to have you back on, on the show, especially as your personal brand grows. Um, of course, make sure to let us know if there's anything that the Fire Up community can do for you when you get that book. 
published, you make sure to tap on me because we will we will put put a little fire up sass on that for sure. Uh, but until you. then, you know, my goodness, just I wish you a fantastic rest of, of your summer months and everything that is ahead for you. Um, we do love to end with a cheers. Cheers. I love that. Here's to just an, an amazing, successful, prosperous, servant-hearted future. Because that's Thank you. really, you know, you're you're really doing so many amazing things, and I'm 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 honored to know you, and I'm proud to have had you on the show, and I cannot wait to share this with the world. So thank you very very much. Any last words? Any last bits of advice that you have? Feel free. You, it's you're on the mic. You know, trust yourself. Mm. That's always what I put. You know, when people ask me, "What's your advice?" Trust yourself. And where I am right now, if I would have trusted myself 20 years ago, of course, I wouldn't be here if I would have trusted myself. But anyway, just trust yourself. That's beautiful. You know more than you think you do. <laughs> you know more than you think you do. That's awesome. All right, my friend. Well, I'm going to bid you adieu and wish you a fantastic weekend ahead. May your air conditioner be fixed in super speed time and and may your technician be super friendly and with a kind smile yay talk to you later bye everyone bye. thank you